All right, so this weekend I'm wrapping up this series that I've been doing on why we do the things that we do when we come to church. And if you've been with us for this, I began this way back at the beginning of the summer. If you remember that, that we started with that thing that we call the call to worship, right? That first thing that we do when we come in, and we've talked about all these different things that go along with worship along the way. So we've talked about praying and reading the Bible and hearing a sermon. We've talked about things like confession and that call to worship and the law of God and the sacraments that we do. All of these little things that all make up part of this Sunday habit that we have of coming to church and why we do those things here. So today, one more. The, one, the last one that we're going to deal with is the offering why we give an offering, how we give that offering, and, and how that's an act of worship for us, particularly. I remember in the time when, when I uh, worked as a chaplain at, in Kalamazoo at Bronson Hospital, I had one visit in particular. I went into a gentleman's room, and I sat there, and it was maybe about a three-minute visit because he was not engaging the conversation at all and didn't want scripture read, didn't want prayer, didn't want any of that, and And then when I was getting up to leave, because it was a short visit, then he stopped me and he said, wait, aren't you asking for money? Why would I be asking for money? Well, then it dawned on me, okay, for this guy, his impression of people who represent the church, pastors, chaplains, anyone who represents the church, they just want your money. That that was his thought all along is at some point he's going to give me the pitch and he's going to ask me to donate to something. He was waiting for that, pushing that away. Once I explained to him, you know what, that's not why I'm here. I'm not asking you to give money for anything. Then he invited me to actually pull the chair back up and sit down, and the visit went further. But till we got past that, that was all that was going on in his head. And that may not be an isolated incident, is it? Right? I mean, there, there are churches around that are reluctant to ever preach about tithing or giving because they're afraid it might offend people that the church has this thing called an offering that we do. So let's figure that out today. What is that? Why do we do that as a part of our worship? And how can we then take that part of what we do in church as a piece of worship, an act of worship? I'm going to read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. These are instructions that Paul gives to the church in Corinth about an offering that they are gathering up. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9. I'm beginning at verse 6. It says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the offering and how we do that. You know, this is a passage from 2 Corinthians that I think some of those television health and wealth preachers go to and misinterpret. Misinterpret in the way of, you know, because if you give more to God, then God will give you more money in return. And, and what, what they mean when they say give more to God is particularly send that money to us, to me, the television preacher, right? That they're doing this. So, so there, there's sort of this thing in the back of people's minds that maybe, maybe thinks, yeah, whenever the church talks about money, there are those examples out there of people who are just looking to swindle you, con you, and maybe that's not in entirely unfounded charge against some people out there. But it doesn't diminish the fact that the Bible talks about being generous and what it means for us to be generous people and how that works for us. So Paul talks about that in this passage, and and it's not a passage about getting more money for yourself by unlocking some key of what it is I have to give to God so that I can get more. That's not what's happening here. Something entirely different is happening in this passage. You know, there's a key word that takes place in here. It's the Greek word charis, and it literally translates as gift, but it shows up in this particular passage all over the place because it comes into English as so many different words as well. Besides meaning gift, it's a word that also means blessing, generosity, thanksgiving, grace. That whenever in the New Testament you find discussions about grace, one of those key words for us as Christians, right? That the gospel itself centers on this idea of grace. All of those things come from this one Greek word, charis. So when you go back and you look at just that passage I read today, right, it's in your bulletin, in your order of worship there, look at all of the mentions in there of gift, blessing, generosity, thanksgiving, grace. It's all over the place in that passage. This is the key that Paul is after here, that he's talking about this. And, and all of these things then are connected. They're all pointing to the same thing. This is not just Paul's way of saying, you know what, church in Corinth, I'm going to handle the business logistics of how you're going to give an offering now. Right? It's not that he's running some kind of a fundraising campaign. That's not what's happening here. No, no, no. Paul is talking about something deeper than that, all centering around this idea of charis, gift, blessing, generosity, thanksgiving. Grace, all things that have connections between the actions of God on our behalf and the actions of the church 
in response to what God has done for us. Do you catch that? These are all pointing towards what God has done on our behalf and the response of the church for what God has done and continues to do. So how do we work this one out? Every Sunday we have this opportunity to express generosity as part of our worship. And Paul is making a connection here. Let, let's trace some of this, all right? Let, let's look back and see where this came from, how this started, where, where it begins. In the Old Testament, it was called something different. It wasn't called an offering. It was called a tithe in the Old Testament. And, and I would say that in the Old Testament, as you see it, it's closer to being a tax than an offering because it was required. Right? It, it was something you had to do. If you were an Israelite living in Israel, 10% of everything that you had, it went to God through the temple right? or through, through the religious authorities. And, and this would be used in so many different ways for Israel. I mean, it, it wasn't just something that helped support the Levites and the priests and the work that they did help for the temple. And, you know, so many of the towns around there had synagogues where they would gather every Sunday. So all of those things were, in essence, funded through this 10% tithe tax that they had. But, but also remember that for Israel, their entire judicial system came from the law of Moses. So it wasn't just the religious people who made their, their living off of this tie that came in, but, but it was the judges and the courts and their entire justice system also came from the word of God and was also funded then through all of this thing that came in as their tithe, what the people of Israel would give. That pattern that came from that. But, but it, you know what? It goes back further than that. In fact, it goes back, we could go all the way back to Genesis and early Genesis, like almost to the beginning of Genesis. The first example you see of, of offering comes with Cain and Abel, right? That Cain and Abel, like, like the children of Adam and Eve, like so long ago, their social security numbers were three and four. Because that's how early it was, way back then. So the Bible tells us about this example right from the beginning of these two people, Cain and Abel, who give offerings to God. And the Bible tells us that story in a way where one of those offerings is pleasing and acceptable to God and the other is not. And it has to do with the heart of the one who gives that Abel gives an offering that is the best of what he has, and he offers it freely to God. Cain gives an offering that is, well, more reluctantly given. It is not from the best, but from the leftovers, whatever happens to be unfit for anything else. One of those offerings is acceptable to God, the other is not. So it, it has to do with the heart of the giver. And we see that all the way from the beginning of the Bible. Some of those very first examples of giving to God, which then carries its way through Old Testament Israel and how they would do that. And then it shows up here again in the New Testament, right? But now it's not called a tithe anymore. Now it's called, well, we consider it a free will offering, but, but I would say it centers around that word, 
charis. That what Paul is calling for, for the churches in the New Testament, what he's talking about in this passage to the church in Corinth is, says, I want you to bring in a charis, a gift, a blessing, a generous thanksgiving, right? That this is something given in grace. You know what grace is, right? It's, it's undeserved favor, simply because you can give it without a thought of what comes in return. That's what Paul is leading to. And and remember, Paul's writing to Corinth. Corinth is not in Israel. These are not Israelite people. These are not people who live under the 10% tithe rule. They're not people who are funding a judicial system within the word of God. No, they're, they're paying taxes to Rome at that time. All of that goes to Rome. This is something entirely different. We're simply giving because we can for people in need because we have been blessed by God to do so. Paul is bringing it to that kind of level. But it's not new, right? It goes all the way back to that same heart of generosity that you see with Abel way back in the beginning of Genesis. That pattern stays in place. So the offering there comes then completely as a gift, a free will offering, given with no intent of what would be received in return, but simply because the giver can give it. Right? It, it, it reminds me of that story that comes from John chapter 12. John 12 is the story where um, Jesus is gathered right before he's about to be betrayed, and Mary Magdalene comes into the house with this bottle of extremely expensive perfume and pours it all over Jesus, right? Do you know that story? And then it's Judas, the disciple who would betray Jesus, is Judas who speaks up and says, what a waste. Do you know what could have been done with that? That's not good stewardship right there. We could have sold that and used that money for something else, but Jesus commands what Mary has done because of the heart of the giver and what Mary brings. It comes that way as a gift that's given simply because she had it to give without a thought of what would come in return. You know, I, I, I heard a sermon preached on this before several years ago. A sermon preached on this one before in which the minister suggested, you know, maybe a way we can think about that is if, if we took our offering here, right? Everyone puts your offering in and we take it out into the parking lot and we burn it. Just burn it. I, in Israel, in the Old Testament, that's what they did, right? With the burnt offerings. They would take what it is they had and they'd just burn it, destroy it, get rid of it. A gift to God that we get nothing back out of. I don't think he was actually suggesting that. It didn't take place. And, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that either. I mean, not the least of which because Title 18 of the U.S. Criminal Code makes it illegal <laughs> to destroy U.S. currency. But, but that's not what we do. But, but the heart there gets after giving a gift simply because it can be given without the thought of what do I get back? What's in it for me? But how does this come back to me, right? And that 
sense, it's not an investment looking for a return, but it's simply given as a gift without a thought of return. There's this other story that comes then. Jesus is doing his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So from Matthew chapter 6, here's what he writes in Matthew 6 about this. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Reward you. You know, go a little further in Matthew 6, and Jesus talks about treasures in heaven, the reward, in which he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reward that comes from what we give to God give to God simply because we can. It wasn't that long ago in this church when, when we did this fundraising campaign to, to pay off the building debt that we had here for maintenance that took place. And we did that at a time when we connected with a group outside of this church, a group of, of some extremely wealthy, blessed individuals who, who said, you know what, whatever you people are able to raise here to do that, we'll match it. We'll match that. We'll just give that to you to to use for for that need that you have. We have no idea who those people are, right? I don't know who they are. They they came to us anonymously to say, we're going to do that for you. And it doesn't matter who we are. We're not looking for anything in return from that, right? We're not looking to even be recognized for that. But it's simply because we've been blessed and can offer that gift. And so we do that. It's storing up treasures in heaven, the return that comes. So even though this passage does talk something about that, right, a, a return on investment, right? Paul, Paul begins that way, doesn't he? Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, but who sows generously also reaps generously. And, and I mentioned at the beginning that, yep, that's one of those verses that's used by health and wealth preachers misinterpreted to be sort of this get-rich scheme kind of a thing. It doesn't work that way. That's not what this passage is after. But if you consider the ways that this does come to us, the treasures in heaven, and how that fits in with this, that God is giving here us an example, an example in how it is that we give so that we do receive this return. And how does Paul phrase that in this passage? What does that return look like? He calls it harvest of righteousness. You see that in the passage that we read today, that that Paul talks about the generous heart that we have, the heart that gives to God without a thought of what we get in return, but simply because we can and we've decided in our hearts to do that, that, that we receive what Paul calls a harvest of righteousness. That is a return that does not so much come to us, 
but it is a return that comes through us. Do you catch that? Do you see how Paul is laying that out in this passage? That the return that we get from a generous heart is not a return that comes to the giver, but it is a return that comes through the giver. Look at how Paul puts that in this passage because he says so many that we will have many expressions of thanks, right? That all the people who are blessed by this will respond in thanksgiving and praise to God. That the harvest there that is multiplied is a harvest of praise to God that comes through the act of generosity. That's the return that comes. So what we do here in this offering thing that we do on a Sunday morning, this is an act of worship for us which sets our hearts in a place for a harvest of righteousness that others then may respond in praise and thanksgiving. I think we know how this works, though. I, I, mean, I think if we actually dug a little deeper into that, you would all have examples of this in some way in your life, right? I think we would all have examples somewhere in our life where maybe you were in this particular time of need, a hardship that took place. Somewhere where you were in a time of need and someone or a group of people stepped in. Someone stepped up and said, I can help with that. Let me take that. Let me, let me get you a few meals this week. Or let me help with some of the rides you need for kids. Or whatever that thing may have been. I think we all know what it's like to be in that place where somebody stepped up and said, I have something I can give to help. I'm going to offer something for you. And I'm not looking for anything back. Right? There, there's nothing that you need to do in return. I'm going to do this simply because I can. We all know what it's like to be on that receiving end. You know then, you know that reaction you give, don't you? The gratitude you feel. Sometimes, maybe even overwhelmed, right? The moments when you've been overwhelmed by how other people have stepped in to do things without wanting anything in return simply because they can. You know that, don't you? That's what Paul's talking about here. This harvest of righteousness that comes when we give without a thought of what's coming back, but simply because we can. We practice that every week here on a Sunday morning. Not to check that off the box. Yep, okay, I've done my generosity thing for the week. Done over. No, no. We practice that here on a Sunday morning because that sets in our lives the pattern, the rhythm, the reminder that we are people of generosity. And we do the regular habit of that so that we can be people and become people who are more and more generous. Not just here and in this place, but in the lives we live outside of this place because that's where the harvest of righteousness is waiting to be taken. So we do that together. All right, some some steps then. How can we we then take this thing that we call the offering, right? And, And how can we make that an act of worship? Something that for us is something that becomes this act of worship in our lives. How do we do that? 
Just a few things that help with that, all right? First of all, think about this. Pause to pray while you're preparing your offering, all right? When you prepare your offering, pause to pray for that. Do that in a way that maybe helps focus your heart upon that. And, and you know what? We all have different ways of doing this, don't we? Uh, some of you maybe do that thing where you, you write a check and we've got those envelopes that the deacons provide and then the envelopes come in and, and that's the way that I think churches have been doing that for a long time and many of you maybe still do it that way. When you take that moment, that moment to consider what it is that I can do and be generous this week for this Sunday, you can give a prayer for that. A prayer for that which is praying, first of all, in gratitude to God, because he's the one who provides the blessing, but also that God would bless the use of that gift for the benefit of others. Take that moment to do that. And you know what? That's a prayer that you can repeat at that moment when we drop it off in the basket on the way out, that when you walk past that, that that's a prayer that can take place. God, take and use what it is that I've given today because it can help and benefit others. That we can stop and do that. And it doesn't just have to be for those of you who still do the, the check in the envelope and writing it and doing that, because I know many more people are moving away from that. In fact, I can't remember the last time I actually wrote a check. I do all my things online that way, and maybe you do some of that too. So, so I'm one of those people here who, who gives to church online, that, that I go electronically through that. But that moment is still there, isn't it? That moment is still there as I'm setting up that online donation to pause, to pray, God, thank you for what I have to be given here and use it for the benefit of others. May it be for the benefit of others. And then, even though, because I gave online, even though I don't have something to physically drop in that basket when I walk out of this room, I can still say that prayer, that prayer as I go by, that God would use that gift for the benefit of others. That's one thing. All right, here's another thing, okay? And this one, all right, this one may sound a little bit nerdy, but follow me on this. Keep the annual church budget. Right? That, so every year, and, and it's we're in the fourth quarter, coming into the fourth quarter of the year. So this will be coming soon that we have the 2022 budget that we put out. It's a spreadsheet with columns and numbers in it. And the, the congregation approves that budget. And Sometimes maybe that's just the thing we do so that we all have a voice and own some of that budget process together. But, but think about this, all right? Keep that because that can be something that you can use to name the ministries. We do a budget in this church not only so that you have a voice in knowing where those resources go, but then also think about it this way, that when you give an offering, that we have given you something that allows you to know where it is that we intend every dollar to go. I know that things work a little differently as needs come up along the year, but we give a budget saying, this is our intention as a church for where the money that you give will be used and where it will go. So for someone like me who, you know, I I tend to tithe and and I give once a month and I do that online, and so I've got that budget sheet And I break that down into 12 pieces so that every month when I put in that thing that I give online, I'm able to look at a section of that and say, you know, this month particularly, I'm going to pray for 
these needs of the church in particular, right? Whatever that budgeting item may be, whether it's Sunday school and children's ministries or facility and the volunteers who take care of the lawn and the parking lot and all of those things around and and all of those things that we have that we give to. That way, now follow me on this, that way when I give an offering to the church, it's not just money for the church, but I can be more specific and more particular in how I pray for that. Not just the church, but in particular, the missionaries of the church, the ministries of the church, the various staff people of the church, the programs that are funded through that in the church. And I can be particular in focusing how it is that I pray over what it is that I give, that it's a gift of generosity to be used by the church that way. So so that may be one thing to consider, hanging on to, and may help focus that, to make that an act of worship. But then finally, something about the posture, right? The, The posture of what we give, because posture matters, process doesn't. I'll say it that way. Process doesn't matter whether you are the kind of person who, you know what, I write a check and I give it every week, or you're like me, I enter it online once a month, or maybe you've got one of those jobs where it's like quarterly sales bonus, so there's like four times a year that it... Process is not the important part, right? As long as there's a process, but there's no one right way. The important part is posture. Not process, but posture. The posture of your heart that we give as cheerful givers from our heart to be used that way. One of the changes that, uh, that we made during the time of COVID here was, was that instead of uh, passing the offering basket around in the middle of the service, we've got a table at the back and it's received out the door. I had one person here who, who said to me, you know what, I kind of liked it better when it was in the middle of the service because that was the time when I would have to read through the bulletin when, the, when we would have those baskets go through. I don't think he was being entirely serious about that because that's not the point of the offering, is it? It's not the point of the offering to give you a few minutes of downtime to flip through announcements. That's not what's happening there. It's not a transaction that takes place in that way. But it's an act of worship. And I like that we've got it out the door, and it's something you do as you leave. I've mentioned this before at other times, that what that allows for us to do then is is this offering, this offering that we do here as a weekly act of worship is something that we do on our way out because it's our first action that takes place when leaving this place and going out to wherever it is we go during the week. The job that you work or the school that you go to or the home that you're a part of or the friends that you meet with. Whatever that is that you go and do when you leave this place, the very first thing when we leave is an act of generosity. And we do that for a reason. The reason being that we do that as the first act of generosity, walking into a week filled with opportunities for generosity. You know, 
Something that I'm not covering in this series, something that I'm not preaching on in particular is, is the blessing, the benediction. Right? I mean, sometimes maybe we think that's the last piece of the worship service, right? That part right before you leave where I will always use that passage from number six, the Lord bless you and keep you, right? That God pronounces a blessing on us as we leave. We leave this place receiving the blessing of God. And the very first response we give to that blessing is an act of generosity on our way out of here. And we do that, not to check that one off the box, but to say, you know what? This is going to be the first in a pattern, a pattern of opportunities that I'm going to have in this week to be generous to others with what God has given to me. The posture of our hearts through that act of generosity sets us up to walk into a week in which the harvest of righteousness may be evident in how it is we give for others as God himself has given so much for us. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, we are, we are sorry for the times when maybe we have given reluctantly or under compulsion. Sorry for the times when we've made this act of generosity just a checkbox on a list. Lord, may it be for us that we turn back and look at these opportunities we have. Not for what we get back out of it, but as a response to what you've given to us, to your grace, to your love. And may we overflow with your grace and your love that we may give to others. Lord, use us for that so that your harvest of righteousness may be evident in others around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.